Here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I'm so, 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 so excited that Mary Heffernan is back. Welcome. Thank you. It's fun to be back here again. It feels like an old friend meeting. <laughs> yes, so cool. I absolutely adore your cookbooks. That's what we talked about last time. You had a new cookbook that was coming out. And we have both of the cookbooks. And then the coolest thing, Mary, is I see them everywhere. Aww. Like, especially at Bucky's. Do they have Bucky's over on your side of the country? They don't, but everybody sends me pictures of it there. And I love it because <laughs> I still, to this day, have not seen my cookbook in a store. No way. I don't get out much, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I see it everywhere. I mean, I would say that yours is one of the books that I see the most often Aww. is your cookbook. It's a phenomenal cookbook. And we have been following along with Five Mary's Farms for years and years and all of the things that you're doing. And you just had a new book that came out that is an awesome one for families and for kids. It's called The Hands-On Ranch Book, How to Tie a Knot, Start a Garden, Saddle a Horse, and Everything Else People Used to Know How to Do. It's a fantastic book. Can we just start off by telling about, <laughs> like, what do people used to know how to do? Well, this book is like right up your alley because it really is like all about getting kids outside, learning everything from like survival skills to basic skills. And I feel like it's just a lot of things that we are used to so many amenities nowadays that we don't necessarily need. Like when's the last time you used a map, like an actual map, right? Yeah. They don't even sell them at gas stations anymore, at least not all of them. Mm -hmm. But these things like reading a compass, reading a map, how to start a fire, how to purify water, like the outdoor skills that just go back to basics. And it doesn't take much to learn those. Mm -hmm. But honestly, you know, the past three years have shown us this, if nothing else, that we don't know what's going to happen in this world. Right. And having those skills to take care of yourself are really important. And kids can learn those, you know, if they can operate an iPhone at five years old, they can learn how to safely start a fire or how to read a map at five years old. So it goes through a lot of those kind of outdoor skills, country living kind of based, and then it also has a lot of fun DIYs from uh, candle making, leather work. You know, in the M5 Ranch School, the bigger video course, we teach mechanicing and welding and some of these skills that, wow. you know, kids did used to know on a daily basis. And it's interesting. We, you know, we live rurally and my daughters at high school are learning welding. And I just think that's so cool that that's still part of the curriculum in some places. Mm -hmm. But I just want all kids to feel like they can be exposed to it. You know, this isn't a book that you have to live on a ranch. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is a book for any kids, probably more geared towards kids who don't live on a ranch, who live in suburbia or live in an urban area where they're kind of interested in like, well, what are these skills? And what could I be doing outside that I'm not already learning here? And just giving them a little taste of that to maybe spark their interest a little farther. Mm -hmm. I love it. This is something really unique to what you do. So you have this farm, you have lots of acreage, you have a restaurant, your husband was a lawyer, is that right? Yeah, he was. Is a lawyer, your husband's a lawyer, still is a lawyer. So you, the restaurant and you moved and you've renovated homes and you've got these outdoor spaces and you have your own butchery, is that the word for it? Yeah, that might even be since we had our last podcast date. Yes. We opened an on-ranch USDA we call it a harvest barn 
which is really a nice word for slaughter. But to be able to do that on the ranch is really unique. It took us a lot of years of research and design and permitting and regulations and all the things. Mm -hmm. But what it means is, and then we have our USDA butcher shop that we've had open for about two years with a team of craft butchers. We do all our dry aging there. Really important to us to have that quality control for the whole process. Mm -hmm. And my husband always says, we don't do anything unless we're proud. And we're really proud of this meat that we're raising. Mm-hmm. And so to hand it off to somebody else and say like, oh, he, you know, can you butcher this for us? Nobody cares about your product like you do. Right. And just that trust and knowing like the from start to finish, it was in our hands the whole time until we literally hand it off to a customer to feed their family. And that is pretty unique. It's something we're really proud of. Yeah. So you have so much going on. And when we talked before, we were talking about this, that you've always really had this bent toward entrepreneurship. And so you're shipping meat all over the country. We talked about how Joel Salatin Mm -hmm. came to you because he said, well, I want to start to ship things too. And he's coming to you to learn your process. We love when we get our boxes. It's got the M5 (laughs) right on the top. It's really cool. And our kids know, they know if it's from your farm or if it's not. Everybody can tell. Kids are the greatest taste testers. And I hear that all the time. They'll be eating dinner and be like, what's wrong with these tacos, mom? And she's like, shoot, I ran out of five berries. I followed the grocery store. I didn't think he would be able to tell. No, they can tell. And I, it is such amazing meat and the products that you ship out. And in fact, one of the boxes that we had bought, it came with a little cookbook from your, like a little one. Yeah. And it was like 20 things to do with ground beef. I don't know, it was something like that. So just been fabulous. And my point is though, that with all of these things that you're doing and you're famous, like you've got TV people coming and you're in magazines and no, you are, you're, you're in Bucky's, which (laughs) Bucky's is like the place to be. And you're right there front and center. You have this bent toward including kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really unique thing that I don't see other places that you do. You started this ranch school, which is incredible. And I know it's not just kids. I think you've talked about like, Older people will come and take classes too. It really could be for anyone. But could you talk about a little bit of the backstory there? Like with all of the things that you have going on, Mm -hmm. restaurant, all this acreage, building all these things, the outdoor kitchen, the TV producers, the people coming, all of it. You said, you know what? We also want to invest in this learning component. You know, I've always been passionate about education. My first business that really showed me like, hey, wait, I'm an entrepreneur. I need to follow this path of being an entrepreneur was a tutoring center um, where I, you know, worked deep in education with kids of all ages. And then when we started ranching, people were really kind to us to teach us like, you're doing that wrong. Your irrigation pivot needs to go like this. You know, people stepped up and said, let me help you. And that, you know, meant a lot to us. We wouldn't be here today without people investing in educating us on what we needed to know. But we came to agriculture with the experience of starting lots of different small businesses in lots of different industries. You know, Brian with his legal background, I was a lifetime entrepreneur background. We spent a year and a lot of money wasted on like, how do you ship meat? Like, what's the best box? What's the best liner? How do you use dry ice? And 10 years ago, that was a much more foreign concept. You know, today, a lot of people are shipping food. But then I was like, I can't find anybody doing this that I can ask. So once we started doing it and kind of figured out that secret sauce with the shipping costs and all that, people said, how are you doing that? And I'm like, you know what? I will tell you everything because there's lots of mouths to feed. I know we're both selling beef, but guess what? Everybody eats every day, sometimes three times a day. 
but it, you know, just sustainably like telling, teaching everybody after I taught a few people, we put together this M5 entrepreneurs course to help teach what we had learned and these skills that I was lucky to come to agriculture with from marketing and branding and building a website, entity formation, like the insurance needs, all that. So we compiled this M5 entrepreneurs program that really solved adults. We have like a little teenager kind of like how to start a business in 14 days program. But we, Brian and I both get so much satisfaction out of that and seeing these people, you know, some of their lives are changed. Like, Mm -hmm. especially in agriculture, times are changing. You know, these ranches that have been around for six years, they're going up on the chopping block because they are a slave to the commodities market and they can't figure out what do we need to change to make this work? And the direct to consumer market is really a great solution for a lot of these operations. So we got so much satisfaction out of that online academy community that we were building that during the pandemic, when, you know, all of a sudden all the kids are home, And my kids are pretty fortunate. They are very capable. They, you know, they've all been driving since they could reach the pedals. We're like, this is the perfect time to let's invest more in the skills that they, you know, might not have time to do during the year. So we have this great, like handyman personality, the Carhartt team jokes. They're like, did you get him from central casting in Hollywood? Like he's the perfect handyman. I'm like, I know John and his suspenders. And he just wants to teach people. So we're like, we have this great resource in John and he wants nothing more than to teach. So we said, if he's going to teach our girls how to weld and how to mechanic and how to change a tire, let's make that available for more than just our kids. Like we can't keep this amazing resource to ourselves. So it just kind of snowballed from that with, all right, if we're going to teach these skills, let's teach canning and preserving and candle making and bread making. And, oh, we've got all these M5 entrepreneurs all over the country these friends can teach how to harvest maple syrup or Brian's friend from high school who runs this huge almond almond, you know, they call it in Mm -hmm. agriculture world, nut tree operation. Let's go down there and see a harvest. Our friend Bruno has an organic dairy. Let's go visit Bruno. So we just filmed it all and created all this content. I hired a couple um, educators to help me write the actual lessons to make sure that they were, you know, geared towards meeting all the standards we needed to meet, but it's not an accredited program. It's more of a supplemental learning, Mm -hmm. but um, we really dove into, okay, we've got a year. Let's make this program awesome. And what we ended up with was 40 weeks of lessons on all of these topics that are covered in this hands-on ranch book and more that give kids an insider look into how these operations work, showing them that these are jobs. You know, you could be a tree harvester, you could be an underwater welder, you could be a ice fisher in Alaska. There's so many jobs out there that I think kids, it's so great for them to be exposed to. Um, And ranch school was just kind of born from that desire to really share what we feel so lucky that our kids get to experience here. Mm -hmm. What an interesting thing to call it supplemental learning, because that is what people would consider it. But when you really take a step back, you're like, no, this should be like the primary learning so that the kids are confident and capable. This is one of the things you talk about in your book, which is like coming at life with a sense that I can learn, a sense that I can do, a sense that I've had these other experiences so I can connect this new thing to my old experiences and then my capacity is increased. And you can see that through your videos. You can see that your girls are ready for a challenge, that they're up for these different things, they're, you know, they're riding the horses, the horses are running, like, what, what, wait, what, you know, and they're not scared. And they, you can see that they have been built little by little into young women who are ready for life. And so it's an interesting thing that we still consider that the supplemental learning instead of the primary. So let's talk about your girls, because one of the things that you have them do 
and it's controversial, I think, is a fair amount of chores. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? So they are like a hugely integral part of our operation. Brian only has really like one and a half ranch hands on the ranch. And for the number of animals we raise, the number of species we raise, that is not much. Mm -hmm. But the girls are so helpful. And when we first started, you know, I think we were all thrown into this new lifestyle of necessity and that animals come first. You know, we always say we don't eat before our animals eat. We take care of our animals before we take care of ourselves, really. Mm-hmm. And Brian and I were kind of overwhelmed with trying to manage all this and learning all these new things. Um, and at first they kind of had to step up to the plate around the house. You know, they were little, but we'd say, hey, we're not going to be in for two hours. So if you guys are hungry, you got to make dinner. Mm-hmm. And they started cooking and they could figure that out. And, you know, one of them would um, say, there's no clean clothes around here anymore. I better do some laundry. And so they all kind of took on tasks at home and for being, you know, little, they were one to six years old when we moved here. So this was, you know, the first couple of years when they were seven, eight, what I saw was like, wow, I need them to do this, but I don't feel bad that I'm making them, you know, do too many chores in their old life. You know, I was like filling their sippy caps and doing whatever they needed. And now mm. I'm like, they are different kids because they are so empowered. Mm. They are proud at the end of the day of like, I cleaned the kitchen. I made dinner. Like, what else you got for me? You know, it wasn't like whining about what what do what are my needs? They saw the needs here are our our animals and our family ranch and each other. And I want to serve, serve this operation and serve this common goal. And they just became so capable and proud of the work that they were doing. And so since then, it's just been natural that they've, you know, they all kind of have different roles in what they love. But, um, you know, when we're in our branding season or our AI, we do artificial insemination for um, our whole cattle herd because it gives us the best possible genetics for really great quality meat. Um, It's like a two week process where we do it in end of November, December. So it's always just like rough weather and you're out there in the elements and Mm. um, working cattle. And, you know, my girls are more capable than I am. I'll be in the sorting shoot and you've got to let, like, Brian's like, let that one by, keep that one. And I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh, I'm scared of it. These scales are big. And the girls are just like out there, like getting after it. And they have fallen into those roles and they love doing that together. Mm. And we, as a family, you know, we've been good about trying to make sure we balance work and play. Mm-hmm. You know, the girls do rodeo, which they absolutely love. Rodeo is a very time intensive sport, not to mention dollars, but you know, we're like, we only have, this is, we don't need money when we're old. This is our time. The kids are home. This is our thing that gives us this family time off the ranch. So we've really leaned into letting them um, rodeo and letting them take clinics with pros and really graduate into a little bit better horses as they've, as they've improved their skills. And they love that and are so appreciative that we support that. So like when we have these two weeks of working cattle in November and December, our family icing on the cake is we jump on a plane and go to Las Vegas for the NFR, which is like the Western world Super Bowl of rodeo, um, the national finals rodeo and cowboy Christmas. And it's the girls are in sequins and it's like the exact opposite of the ranch, but it's what they're passionate about is that the sport of rodeo. And they know that they wouldn't be able to do those things if they weren't a part of helping us with our operation, because we have, you know, we have to hire less people. So we have a little bit more cash to do fun things with them. 
And I think that that's, you know, that's a real world scenario that is important for them to understand that, you know, that's, that's how the world works. And if you're kids and you contribute to your family, there are benefits that you reap from that. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Wow. And they're contributing in ways that are substantial. I just read this book called Hunt, Gather, Parent by a woman named Michaeline Duclef. And that's what she talks about. Like in other cultures that kids have, she calls it a a family membership card. Like they really are helping in ways that actually matter and they Mm -hmm. know it. And so that really is what is boosting their confidence. In fact, she says in these other cultures, they don't praise kids. There's not all of this like extra praise. You're amazing. All that. They just, they know that they kind of are because they're capable and because they're really inserting themselves in a way that makes the family run better. Mm -hmm. So that's incredible. Okay. I want to know about the rodeo because this (laughs) is completely out of my purview. Is this something that you already knew existed? Like I have never been to anything like it and I see your girls out there on their horses and it's incredible to watch. Like where did that all start? So I grew up not really around horses in my early age. My mom wanted nothing to do with horses, didn't ride horses, but my grandmother was a like avid horsewoman, you know, back in the forties and fifties in the like mountains of California, she and her sister. 
And so my grandmother was always like talking to me about horses. And she sent me to a horse camp when I was um, like 10 or 11 years old. And they had this weird sport called vaulting, which is gymnastics on horseback. And I kind of fell in love with it and was like, this is great. This is so much fun. And I found a club near me that gave lessons. And I talked my mom into letting me go. So I started doing this weird sport called vaulting. Um, And you're doing like gymnastics routine while a horse is running around. And I was, you know, the oldest of four kids. My mom's running around making sure everybody's getting to the right place. And I was carpooling there with somebody who lived near me. So the first competition, like three or four months in, we go and she goes to this other mom and goes, did you see that? That girl's standing on a horse. And her mom's like, yeah, Mary does that too. (laughs) (laughs) Just just wait. So I did that sport all of my high school career. And then after college, I was like, I'm too old for to wear a unitard and dance on a horse anymore. Um, And I was tutoring for a family that lived near this old school polo grounds in the Bay area. And I started going there and watching the games and getting to know the pros. And pretty soon I was like, can I just come and like help exercise your horses? And they kind of taught me the game and I started playing polo and I played pretty wow. kind of competitively until I met Brian and realized this is really dangerous sport. <laughs> it's okay when you're single, but not when you have something to, to live for. So I, um, <laughs> I played like all over Florida, Southern California, Argentina, And I pretty much just gave it up when I got married and we started having kids and didn't look back. Mm -hmm. We moved to the ranch. I thought, oh, maybe, maybe we'll get horses. And Brian and I were both like, we can't handle horses. (laughs) We have way too much we need to figure out here. And a lot of, you know, you think cattle ranching operations, like you have to have horses, right? But the operations that go up in the mountains and they're gathering cattle, those do. But we have a pretty like well-contained operation where we move from, you know, pasture to pasture up on the hill. And horses aren't entirely necessary in our operation. Mm -hmm. So we said, no, we're not doing, we're not doing horses. And then, you know, never say never. (laughs) Um, I think it was probably four years into the ranching. uh, Somebody had two horses to give us. They said, these are perfect kid horses. The girls were begging. We agreed. They got each got a horse halter for Christmas. And Brian drove to Walla Walla, Washington to get these two horses for the girls and brought them back to the ranch. And it was a disaster. They were not kid horses. We had the shoer out and he's like, someone told you these were kid horses. We're like, yeah, they were free. He's like, Appaloosas are always free. Just say no. (laughs) So then we had this uh, pony someone gave us who turned out to be really this angel pony who taught the girls everything they know about riding, who they gave us eight years, seven or eight years ago to retire on the ranch. And she's 44 years old now and still living her best retired life. What's her name? April, April, the dream pony, we call her. So April gave them a good start to like understand horses and tacking up. And then we had some neighbors whose kids um, rodeoed and they were competitive in high school rodeo. And we didn't even know what this was, but they would, you know, come pick up the girls after school and say, Hey, we'll bring them back in a few hours. And we're like, okay, where are you guys going? And they taught these, the girls how to ride, how to rope, how to, you know, like start running barrel patterns. And pretty soon, you know, we look out there and they're totally capably tacking up their own horse. Wow. One of my M5 entrepreneurs is a uh, Amber and Abby. They're down in central California. And they started a company called Riding Free Tack that makes lightweight saddles. And that was mm-hmm. also a key component to our kids starting because 
we didn't have time to go tack up oh, four yeah. horses. And usually saddles are, that's really hard, like to physically get a saddle on the back of a horse. And by now the girls are riding real horses, not ponies. So Riding Free Tack makes these awesome lightweight saddles for kids. They're super affordable, but still well-built. And mm-hmm. the, like Tessa was out there, you know, five, six years old, getting it on her head and then getting it up on her horse or she'd climb a fence with it on one arm. So they, you know, again, by necessity, like had to figure out if we want to ride, we got to figure out how to do this all ourselves. And they did. And then pretty soon they were, you know, actually catching steers with their ropes and, and figuring the sport out. And then we said, okay, I guess high school rodeo starting, which starts in fifth grade. And Francie started that the first rodeo, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, She didn't either, but she loved it. And the rodeo community are fantastic people. They're great kids. It's neat to live in a rural town where there's not many people to have another outlet to like meet kids um, that are have the same kind of values you do that are interested in the same kind of things. Um, It's been really interesting, but they're competitive. They're great. They're Mm -hmm. on all of them. They kind of have their own sports, but Francie, our oldest qualified for junior world finals, which will be in Vegas during the NFR. Um, and then the others are, wow. they're, they're winning buckles and stuff that we never, never thought possible. Yeah. That you don't even know. It's a whole, I'm so fascinated with subcultures and especially the ones that you don't even really know exist. Mm-hmm. And then you hear you know, I watch your stories and the girls out there on their horses and they're having a great time. They're just hanging out with friends in the in-between and what a cool thing. Isn't that interesting too, how Sometimes your life can be so dramatically changed by like, oh, someone gave us this pony and that was it. That was a thing that happened. And then here you are doing this thing and that the fact that their own interests drove them on because you weren't directing that. Yeah. You didn't have the, the time or bandwidth to. And so, you know, that like intrinsically comes from them, something that they want to do. So how cool. I love watching that kind of stuff. And I've learned a lot from it. I've learned a lot from this book, too. OK, so one of the things in the hands-on ranch book is that you always approach your horse from the left side what's that about yeah it's kind of um it's just like horse culture and when you're saddling up or tacking up you always get on on the left side um it makes the horse comfortable like kind of that horses are Mm -hmm. really creatures of habit and and routine so if you always approach on the left and then there's you know a certain way that the tack set up that you know, you tighten your cinch from that side, um, making sure that your gear is all set before you get on that horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, probably it's just started generations ago um, that it's it's just kind of become habit and and it's, but it's the only way you do things around horses. And there's also some interesting, I don't know, superstitions around the horse world. And like, you never put a cowboy hat on a bed, like the biggest sin you could commit. <laughs> putting a cowboy hat on a bed or even like laying them flax cowboy hats. They are all shaped really well. But in our little travel, we have a horse trailer. It's not little, it's a LQ living quarters trailer where we live in the front part and we transport Uh our horses in the back. And it's, you know, a a bed up above the thing. And then, you know, a fold down bed and a bed up here. And so Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of space besides bed. So there's always cowboy hats everywhere. No one is willing to put them on the bed because it's, it'll send some kind of old school cowboy curse. Yeah, I love all that kind of stuff. And if I look, think back to the time, and I've not been on horses a ton, but you know, you go to camp. It's like, yeah, you always, it's always like you put your left foot up and swing your right foot over always. Yeah. It's never the other way around. So that's super interesting. Well, another thing in here was about leaving eggs out on the counter. 
and the bloom. So I actually didn't know, I knew that you could leave the eggs out on the counter, but I didn't totally know why. So can you explain, because I think in other parts of the world, they leave their eggs out. Mm -hmm. But here in America, for the most part, they're in the fridge. Yeah, even grocery stores in other countries, you'll buy, they aren't refrigerated. So when, and the egg is laid, and I've actually like seen an egg being laid in real time, which was like an, an insane to actually see it happen. It has what's called a bloom on it. And it's just a fine coating that looks like wet when it comes out and it pretty very quickly dries on the egg. And that bloom is a natural antibacterial cover on the egg, wow. which is like so amazing because an egg is very porous, you know, the mm -hmm. shell is porous. So the bloom is naturally antibacterial and it will keep that egg from needing to be refrigerated. It'll keep that egg fresher out on the counter. You don't need to refrigerate that egg. When you wash an egg to clean it, you know, cause they'll get poop or dirt on them. When you yeah. wash an egg, and you wash that bloom off. You've essentially stripped it of all that natural antibacterial coating. And then you do have to refrigerate the eggs or they'll go bad a lot sooner if left out on the counter. That is fascinating. Yeah, I learned so much in this book. So it's a great one for kids. You know, the, the egg drop, if how to tell if an egg is fresh or not. Yeah. Yeah. So if the egg sinks, it's actually fresh. And if it sits on its side, it's very fresh. Once it starts kind of sitting upright and bobbing, it's less fresh. Mm -hmm. And if it's in the middle of the water or floating on top, you don't want to eat that egg. It's gone bad. Yes, you know, that's never a good thing no. when you crack open an egg and it's gone bad. Yeah, so lots to learn in this one. You talk about sheep too, because you guys have sheep. You talk about the color of their eyes, like the things that you can learn from the color of their eyes. Yeah, sheep are really interesting. You know, we didn't really think that we'd get into sheep when we started, but um, we have this Navajo churro, this old breed, and they have these beautiful coats and you can tell by their their eyes and their teeth how old they are like pretty scientifically wow. like start losing teeth. So basically, you know, how, how far they're into having good teeth and then the teeth start to deteriorate. We've learned a lot raising sheep. It's hard. It's a little bit of a hard sell in America because people don't really eat lamb like they do in other countries. Mm. So I have to, you know, spend a lot of time on education, teaching people that lamb is delicious meat. It's what my kids would probably choose over anything else if they had the option. But we, it's nice to be a part of what we do here because it gives our customers, you know, high, a, a lot of our customers are farm club members where they get the, they get a box every month or every other month. Um, and being able to offer beef, pork and or lamb just gives a little bit more variety. Mm-hmm. And lambing is always fun. Yeah, so much to learn about. And you have in this book, like you'll have all the different breeds, maybe not all of them, but a bunch of different breeds. And you got pictures in there so kids can learn and just see, be exposed. Because I don't think you really realize, you know, you think about, a, I think about sheep and I think about the white fluffy ones and that's it. <laughs> but then there's all these different varieties out there. And I think it's fun exposure to see that our world has all of this variety. Yeah. So many breeds, yeah, so many different purposes, you know, some the breeds of cattle, like the girls have roping cattle um, that aren't good steaks, aren't good eating quality. And then, you know, there's like the Texas Longhorns, those are raised for horn and hide. The meat is not as good quality. We raise Black Angus, which is a very meat forward breed. Then there's Jersey cows, you know, milk cows are totally different purpose than beef cattle. And uh, teaching that to people and, and, you know, understanding a little bit more of that, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. The same with the terminology, like a, a cow is not actually what you're eating usually. Um, like in our program, the cows are for breeding and the cows are having babies. And then when they have a calf, it's either a steer or a heifer. And a heifer is 
uh, cattle who haven't had a baby yet. Steer are castrated males, and those are the ones that go into our meat program. But once they become a mama, that's their purpose because the meat quality is not as good once they've had hormones and nursing and babies. Yeah, there's so much to learn. I think that's one of the coolest things about nature is that it's not all just one thing, Mm -hmm. one type of tomato, one type of animal, one type of sheep. I mean, there's just so many different kinds. Well, then you talked about how with the sheep that the, is it that the mom sheep can find the baby sheep by sound? Is that right? Sound and smell. It's really interesting. They, sheep and cattle, they know their baby right away. You know, it's an instinctive thing. Like a lot of our heifers, our first time mamas, they'll have a calf and they're kind of like, what just happened? But then they're like instinctively licking the calf off, getting it to, you know, stimulating it. And the sheep do as well. And they're very protective. They know, you know, we've got whole pastures of black mama cows and black baby calves, and they all pair up at night. They know who their mama is. And they wow. do that, um, by the sound, they, especially in sheep, their baas are very distinctive, um, but the smell as well. And sometimes we will have to, whereas pigs, they don't care. They'll, we have a group lack. Once the pigs are a little bit older, the mamas are out there and they're just like, anybody can nurse (laughs) on me. I don't care. But um, sometimes when we have our cattle, you know, one of the saddest things is to see like a stillbirth or a calf who dies in the birth canal, if it's a difficult birth and that mama will mourn that calf. You know, they, they'll either stand on him, licking it, trying to get it up until there's no more hair on that calf or they'll pace around. Um, And that is, it's really heartbreaking to see. And sometimes we'll have, uh, if we have twins, Brian says cows can only count to one. They usually only take one of them and the other one is kind of left to its own devices. So we usually, if we have a twin, we have to bring in the the second one, the weaker one, um, and it becomes a bottle baby or we we have some milk cows, some Jersey cows that we will use as nursemaids, but what you can do, and it's not always successful, but, uh, is graft on that baby to the mama who had a stillborn. And one of the ways you do that is by actually skinning the hide of the one who died and tying it to all four legs of the live one. So the mama comes and licks it and it was like, Oh yeah, that's my baby. And then she'll, uh, she'll actually take that as her own. And then by the time the hide falls off, um, rots off. She's like, Oh no, that's, that's my calf. It's like really fascinating to see. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit. That's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 
1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Oh, I can't even imagine. So fascinating. And like you said, to have a whole field of animals that all pretty much look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. I wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Yeah. But they can find their mom. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. What an incredible thing. It's like, I bet you couldn't have ever imagined to see that, to see that in person. Uh, well, this is what I'm curious about because you have a lot of entrepreneurship ideas in this book. Mm-hmm. It's something that you talk about a lot. So, well, you talked about, I really liked how you had those different job ideas in here. And then you also had entrepreneurship ideas, like ideas for handmade goods to sell and ideas for services to sell. And then there's all these interesting careers that you were talking about earlier, like the welding and things like that. And you even have worksheets in the back, which is fun. Kids could try entrepreneurship's worksheet for chores and caregiving. So all of these different types of things, candle making. Do you reach a point where you're like, okay, you know, we did the harvest house. We have the custom butcher. We've got the restaurant, we have the outdoor kitchen, we have the classes. Do you hit a spot where you're like, we're good, we're done? Or do you still always have other ideas? You know, I don't, I don't think Brian and I are wired that way, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've always been a good match because we love big ideas and, you know, making them happen together and seeing like creating something, you know, whether it's a business yeah. or a new building on the ranch or, you know, a new facility, a better way of doing things. We are just passionate about that. And I think that's what really drives us. Mm -hmm. And I think if I stopped, I would get bored and everything would fall apart because I wouldn't be very good at doing, I'm not good at just like maintenance. I'm good at like, what's next? What's next? And I think that's important to us that we have a very diverse operation. You know, we, we do whiskey and wine in the restaurant and we do, hospitality and the cookbooks and the butchery. Um, but you know, we have four kids and ranches, like you're setting yourself up for a pretty tough place in succession. You know, if all four kids want to come back and run the ranch, that's not going to work. So we want to give them options that if they do want to come take over some part of our operation, it might be something that they're more interested in, or, you know, everybody has a place to come back. Now, do we really think all of our kids are going to come back? No. Do we hope they do? No. I hope they go do what makes them happy in life and maybe use the tools we've taught them as entrepreneurs to start something of their own, or they might find, you know, a much more traditional path. So we have no expectations of that, but it not only kind of gives a lot of options for the future, 
It also really helps um, to be able to pivot and lean into some things more than others. You know, the past three years and uh, the pandemic and, you know, all of a sudden the restaurant has to close and we have all these issues coming up that nobody ever really expected would be modern day problems, um, we could kind of pull at the strings and say, okay, this is still working. Let's lean into that. This is still working. Let's lean into that. Um, Because ranching is expensive. Mm -hmm. It's not an industry that you can just get into and think, you know, it's all going to work or I'm always going to have, you know, a steady income, just like any entrepreneur. But agriculture kind of has a way of making it even harder because there's all these variables you can't control from weather to, you know, disease and sickness in your herd, um, things just not working out. I think we like having that diversity um, to kind of keep us moving always in the right direction. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting, Mary, like I wouldn't have thought. So when you said about succession, there's just not enough there to support four people. Mm -hmm. And their families, right? And their families. You're limited by time and space and resources. You know, you can only grow so much hay or buy and store so much hay or have so many animals on the ranch. And so that's where a lot of family farms, especially this day and age when things are changing a lot and the commodities market is is so volatile, um, there's a lot of ranches that fall apart because they can't or or they really ruin a family dynamic because one person gets to take it over and the others are left out in the dark. Mm-hmm. There's not enough for a buyout or anything like that. It's just like, who's going to take over the farm? Wow. There's a huge industry in succession planning and succession mediators that have to go into these farms and ranches and figure out, you know, you get the trucks and the this part and you get this part, or you guys have to sell it all at auction because this just isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while we're proud to be creating kind of a legacy family business. It's also could be pretty risky. Wow. Is that fascinating? So the thought is, is that if there's all these different arms of the business, like if there is publishing and there is this harvest house and there's the hospitality, like people can come and stay there and you're doing media things and you have a restaurant and then you have the actual animals themselves, that there is a piece of that, that if the girls wanted to, that they could grasp onto. And since all kids are different, you know, people tend to gravitate toward different things anyway. That's really interesting. Have you found, because we've thought about that a little bit with our own business, that at the very least, it's a fallback Mm -hmm. that, you know, if at some point someone was in desperate need for this job or work or that you're building something that your child could come and work at someday. Do you hear other people talking like that? You know, In the agricultural world, yes, but it seems to be the place where it's most kind of on the forefront because the investment in the land and the equipment and your operation is so great. And the heart of the business, you know, the the generations or the this is how I grew up and I saw how hard my dad worked for this. I think it's just more intense than you know, if your family has a restaurant or a shop, sure, you'd love for somebody to take over the family restaurant, but if it closes, it closes, you sell some restaurant equipment, you'll always have the stories and the photos and the menus. But you know, selling your home, your land where you grew up, when your business is wrapped into the legacy of where you live, and all those memories and blood, sweat and tears poured into it, it brings it up a notch in intensity. Mm -hmm. It's like a different level of investment. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's also it's a challenging thought, though, to incorporate that into your own life. And I think that that's been a part of our journey over the past many years is thinking, 
like what parts of this could we use to bring on on others even if it's not your own kids like even you know you're talking about hiring other people or you, the one and a half ranch hands that it's really supporting the work of other people i know you you guys have your shipping days where you ship out and so the more that you permeate out the more that you can hold up mm -hmm. yeah that's a great way to look at it okay so we're coming out to the farm Yes, we can't wait. People can follow along because I'm going to be sharing. What are we going to see? So you'll be here kind of at the tail end of calving, but we still might have some calves being born. So that's always very exciting. But we should have lots and lots of baby calves running around the pasture with their mamas. So we'll we'll take you along to check cows um, kind of along the riverbank and our pastures. And then um, the girls rope and ride almost every night. So I'm sure we'll probably end up around the roping arena, watching them ride. Sometimes they have some friends over to rope. Uh, and then we built, you know, we have this beautiful outdoor camp kitchen mm -hmm. kind of on the hillside of our ranch where we entertained. And, and sometimes we do, you know, long table dinners and farm dinners or farm stays. But we all of a sudden we're like, man, we can't even get up there to cook anymore because we're down here watching the girls. So we built another outdoor kitchen barbecue area at the arena because for us time with our kids is the most valuable currency right now. Yeah. And we're like, it's worth investing and in putting down something here. And it's pretty simple, you know, especially on a ranch. It's so nice how you can throw things together. You know, Brian can throw a welding hat on and make me what I'm dreaming up. So we just built a little barbecue area, but we spend most nights there as a family. And, you know, we've got the string lights overhead and it's, it's kind of a magical place right now with the way that the ages of the kids and, um, you know, they're so self-sufficient with their horses. So I just get to watch from outdoors and with a cocktail and cook dinner. And we love having people come join us. So we're really excited to host you guys. We're so excited. That's so cool. I remember reading in one of Joel Salatin's books about how no one really views their home as like, I don't know if he put it this way, but like a vacation spot, right? Or a place mm -hmm. for recreation that we're always looking for that in outward things. Do you ever feel really tied down? Or are you finding what you need just in your surroundings? You know, we did feel a lot more tied down in the beginning when it was really hard to find help and more things were always going wrong. There's always mm -hmm. something to fix or always something that goes wrong on a ranch. But Brian has kind of a right hand ranch hand who he trusts and is just like an extension of Brian who's been with us for three years now. Um, and so we are lucky that that allows us to get off the ranch. Now, would we get off the ranch very often? Probably not. We're not in the season of wanting to do vacations because we just, we love where we live so much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we're going to go anywhere, we'll go, you know, have dinner up on the mountain barbecue or camp out on the hillside. Yeah. But what rodeo has given us is this like forced get off the ranch. <laughs> Mm -hmm. put the chores down for a minute, focus on each other. And we travel together in this mini semi truck, it's mm -hmm. a seven passenger semi, and then this giant trailer. And we go anywhere. We set up camp in the middle of a fairgrounds parking lot or a dirt parking lot or a, um, a fairground stopover. And I've got the system down where the grills come out and the chairs come out and the rug and the awnings. And we can like pop up together and sit there at night with cold beers and the kids are running around roping their dummies and I'll make dinner for everybody. And that's been really a gift for us to kind of have that forced family time off the ranch um, mm -hmm. where you don't feel guilty for leaving because you're doing something productive as a family. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a really fun time for us. That's really cool. I mean, that's a big gift from that subculture. Mm -hmm. Like you said, otherwise, maybe you wouldn't ever be doing that kind of stuff, but it pushes you out to do it. I love seeing that stuff. 
let's hit one more topic from the book because there's a lot of really cool things to learn in here. How to make wild earth dye, how to read seed packets, how to make your own fishing poles. So many fun things in here. Bread making, a sourdough starter recipes and other recipes as well. So lots in here. But I didn't know, you know, you always see the beeswax candles, right? Yeah. And people shape them into different things. And to me, they just always seemed whimsical. But what I learned in your book is that the light that the beeswax candle emits is more a replication of like the sun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like where it is on the spectrum is different than any other candles. And that, you know, it, it's really good for the air a lot. That's a big topic now that a lot of candles have chemicals in them and don't right. burn clean. Um, but a true beeswax candle, it does have a different light. It's kind of that like warm winter fire light that I don't know, you almost feel it. You know, when you light a real beeswax mm. candle, you're like, why does this feel special? <laughs> but it is. And it, yeah, the bees made that. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So that's such a cool thing in the book. So just so many how to's that was how to make the beeswax candle. And then there's different types of knots, which I thought was really interesting. Like one of the things I learned in this was that in certain situations, you want to have a knot that you can quickly undo, mm -hmm. especially if you're working with animals, you want to be able to something if they get spooked or certain situations that you are able to quickly remedy that because of the type of knot that you made. So how to make maple syrup is in here, sewing, which is such an important thing, how to sew on a button, how to mend things, taking care of chickens. This is a comprehensive book, Mary. <laughs> There's a lot in the book. I think we packed a lot in there with some fun illustrations. I hope it'll make a good holiday gift for people. You know, it's a it's a great like grandparent to give their kids or yeah. to give the classroom. We're trying, we're going to do some giveaways and try to get them in as many um, school libraries as we can. Oh, I love that. That's such a fantastic idea. So this one's called the hands-on ranch book, how to tie a knot, start a garden, saddle a horse and everything else people used to know how to do. It's an adorable book by Mary Heffernan. You can get that wherever you buy your books because it is out now. It is out and ready to go. And if people want to find you, it's five marysfarms.com. You've got the ranch school and you're on Instagram and Facebook. So lots of places to follow along. And it's really fun to follow along because you see, you see those outdoor kitchens and you see the rodeo days and you see the animals and you see the entrepreneurship journey. And so then it's always like, it's interesting. Cause then I'm like, well, what are they going to do next? You know, <laughs> you get up to one massive thing and then you're like, oh, we have another idea. <laughs> <laughs> always something going on. Always something. It's really cool. Well, Mary, huge congrats on a new book. Absolutely loved it. And we'll see you soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Jenny. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. 
And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking